Hey guys, it's Fuzz here with another episode of Never Going Home with Fuzz Chukas, episode 16. There's lots of crazy stuff going on in the world at the moment. And I've got uh, today's guest is Natasha from the NUJ, which is the National Union of Journalists. And I thought I'd get her on to answer a couple of questions and talk about a few things because we live in a crazy time at the moment. And in my opinion, I think journalism is critical. Um, and there seems to be a lot of backlash and negative uh, negative things floating around about all journalism. It, you know, people are throwing this labor on, but all journalism. So I'm just going to chuck us into our screen. There's Natasha. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? You know, okay. Hanging in there, I guess. It's a horrible time at the moment. Lots of, uh, you know, lots of stuff going on. So, yeah, first of all, I thought um, maybe you could just uh, let us know, you know, uh, who you are and what the NUJ is all about. Okay, um, yeah, so I'm Natasha, I'm a freelance photographer, I've been a professional for over 10 years now, um, and I've been an activist in the NUJ for about five years, so I got involved with my local branch as a way of connecting up with other journalists and finding out what's going on in the industry. Um, and then I became active in terms of representing other members, so I'm now on the national executive of the NUJ which is the um, overall decision-making body um, of, of reps, basically. Yeah. Um, and, um, and essentially what we do as a union, we represent people who work across all aspects of journalism. So it's not, it's not just reporters. It's also photographers, PR, comms people, people who work in books and magazines, as well as newspapers, new media, um, uh, so there are more um, publications that are actually entirely digital now, you know, online platforms. We've represent people who work there too. So it's, it's actually a really diverse union, um, representing a lot of interests. Um, and we defend members' rights in the workplace. We uh, support people in terms of negotiating for better terms and conditions with their employers. And we also support our freelance members um, and we've been doing a lot of that lately um, in lobbying both UK and devolved governments in terms of making sure that there is improved financial support for freelancers because so many self-employed people are falling through the gaps of the government's financial support schemes at a time when they really desperately need help. Um, and the other thing that we try to do is to raise awareness of the issues that are affecting our members so at the moment, you know, as you've identified, um, there's a, an escalating hostility towards, um, towards journalists, uh, towards you know, the media, in air quotes. Um, and a lot of our members are suffering because of that. Um, we especially see that as an issue for uh, photographers and um, visual journalists, you know, TV crews, broadcasters as well. They're going out and covering things like uh, the protests that have been going on at the moment, the Black Lives Matters protests, where there's then um, just small pockets of, of people who have actually been really aggressive and abusive and have physically attacked journalists while they've been trying to work. We've had issues sometimes also with police officers in that environment. We don't, I think in the, in the heat of the moment, um, are, are not doing enough sometimes to uh, protect journalists. From, from being attacked by members of the public. Uh, and also police officers themselves can be a bit rough in terms of mm. um, handling, handling journalists when they're working in that situation. 
I think so it's safe to say like nobody likes journalists at the moment, right? <laughs> it seems to be like there's not they're not like I'm surprised because there's a lot of people that I see on social media and stuff. There's a lot of people that talk about um all the injustices that need fixing and correcting and then in the same sentence will attack you know all journalists and I just think well what your goal is and what journalists should be doing is generally the same thing most of the time so i don't understand why they get a lot of hostility from people you know i guess it's probably the bad people you know sorry to jump in but just while i remember it's probably um it's probably the really irresponsible um media outlets that sensationalize things and the bad examples of journalism seems to be what we what everyone is gauging the rest of the industry on um, it's really complicated, actually, because, um, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're a member of the NEJ, you agree to abide by a code of ethics in terms of ethical reporting, um, you know, making sure that what you produce is, is accurate and, um, you know, robustly investigated. Um, but not, not all journalists are members of the NEJ. Um, but also, I think a lot of people don't understand the role of the press. Um, people are actually very protective about their privacy, and they see the they see journalists. Uh, I think sometimes as invading the public's privacy, and actually, what we're doing is protecting the public's rights. Um, we we protect the rights of citizens by scrutinising the decisions that are taken by government at all levels. Whether you're talking about UK government, you're talking about what's happening in the local council. Um, we, we, need, we are independent witnesses to what is happening and we report on what we see, um, whether we report visually through photography or through, through filming or we report through the written word. It's the role of a journalist to be an observer of what's happening and to inform the public. Um, so, you know, especially when you think about general elections for example mm. um how can the public make well-informed decisions about how to vote uh, it's if, impossible they're, if they're just so. yeah if they're just relying on misinformation disinformation that they find on on social media this is um, something i wanted to sort of um but maybe sort of touch upon as well the fact that um although like new media and technology has made it so much more accessible for people to have blogs and opinions and talk about things and share stuff. My personal view of it is that we've kind of gone past the point of it being useful and helpful and productive because there seems to be so much misinformation around. And I don't know how we're going to fix it either, but it just seems to be so much misinformation around. There are people that I would never expect in a million years telling me about lizard people and, you know, not to mock them, but like it's quite which takes a lot of belief to jump from, you know, okay, where are the facts? Do I trust this? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think most people were like that. Um, and, you know, we have 5G conspiracies and lizard people taking over the world. And, and I'm, I'm trying my hardest not to make it sound funny because, but I, I don't think I can because it does sound quite far-fetched. But so many people are really subscribing to these, um, to these things. And they get into little bubbles and little pockets on social media and then, it's like the kind of, you know, uh, confirmation bias, people saying, do you believe in it too? Yeah, I believe in it. And then before you know it, you've got this thing. Um, 
and I just think, well, did you have any thoughts on that? Like, because obviously freedom of press, um, you get like sort of uh, citizen journal, citizen journalism, but it seems like everyone's a journalist these days and there's like a million things floating around the internet and a lot of misinformation. And it's actually getting to the point where it's kind of dangerous at the moment. So like how, where's the balance and how do you, how do we address that? Well, there's, there's a difference between opinion and journalism. Um, anyone can give their opinion on something. Um, but journalism, you, you would expect to be um, properly researched, to Evidence. be balanced, to be independent, um, and to use accurate and reliable sources. Um, and I think there's a real issue with media literacy in the UK mm. in that people do not know how to ensure the credibility of the information that they're consuming. And there is so much information uh, that if you, if you don't have the, the skills to know whether what's in front of you is reliable and accurate or not, then it's very easy to just kind of absorb something as the truth, especially if it's been shared by somebody that you respect and trust. You know, if they're saying it, then, oh, well, that it's must be credible. now, yeah. Um, and that, that needs to start in schools. It needs to be on the curriculum for for children to learn about the role of the press. It's fundamental to having a healthy democracy, but it's also fundamental to people being well-informed and being able to make good decisions for themselves um, and their lives. When you elect politicians or when you choose to vote yes or no in a referendum, you need to know what that means. Um, and people are getting information from sources that are just not reliable, but they don't realize that. Um, so their, their trust has gone in the wrong places, I think. Um, I talked earlier about uh, some elements of, of journalism that are perhaps not healthy. Um, I would say in the word journalism to sort of, it's not how I would uh, brand it, but, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm using that word in the sense that other people relate to the word. Like, I think there's a big problem in what people call journalism and journalists and, and what, people who write for certain publications do. I don't think they're the same thing, but yeah, just to clarify, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to just sort of uh, get that out of it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, and, and I think the thing, one of the issues there is that we have, um, you know, big corporations that own um, newspaper platforms, basically, they, you know, the money, it's, it's about making money. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about putting money into the pockets of shareholders. And when that is your overriding priority, instead of good quality journalism, then everything gets a bit skewed. And, and the thing is, what, what determines the profits determ is it's determined by clicks. So yeah, if, click you've got, if you've got people clicking on the sensationalist headlines and clicking on the celebrity gossip and clicking on stuff that is, you know, intrusive and not really in the public interest. Um, do, do we really need to know? Or, um, Seven know things that would shock you about 10B in autumn or something, and you think, yeah, I know what you mean. But So uh, what's, how do we address it, though? Because like, obviously papers need to... And again, I'm, I, I'm only... This sounds quite uh, blasé. It's a bit of a tricky question, so I know there's not really a good answer, but just some ideas on how we can maybe solve it, because obviously papers need to run, and they, gotta, they cost many... They also dying a death you know print-based media seems to be not doing great so like have you spoke to anyone that has any ideas on how that could be addressed well the, the NEJ has um uh, 
created a, a news recovery plan. Um, and, it, and it talks about these kind of issues because over the last you know, few years, we have lost so many local journalists. That's a huge issue. We've got centralized hubs that are reporting on issues in areas where they do not have any direct contact with anybody there. We don't have a journalist there. Um, so how are we meant to report accurately on what's going on in people's local areas if you don't have anyone who's there in the first place? Um, and so there, there's a huge role for local journalism, for hyperlocals, for... Um, so, for example, if, 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 if a local title goes under, um, we would like to see there being options for the local community to then take that over, for it to be owned, you know, as a, as a community asset so that we can help local journalism to thrive. Because if we don't have that, we can't keep people connected in their local area. We can't keep people informed, but also having this sense of, of journalism being there for them and supporting them in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, and there are, lots, there are lots of other things that we could do as well. Uh, we need to put pressure on those really big publications to, to prioritise public interest journalism. And the problem is, if you want a really robust, well-researched, good piece of journalism, that takes time, and time is money. Mm. Um, and if, if the money is all about getting the advertising clicks in um, and going off to pay the shareholders, that's not, that's not being fed back into good quality journalism. And that's what the public really want to see. But if the public wants to see that, they also need to be prepared to pay for it as well. Um, yeah. Everybody wants to just consume everything for free. And that, that is a bit of an issue because if you, want, if you want really good quality stuff, you need to pay for it. You know, whether it's, it's a few quid a month for a subscription to uh, an online version of a newspaper that, that you enjoy. Yeah, I do that. Um, and I don't even read every single article, but I do it out of principle because I think, you know, I don't want to read, uh, you know, secret texts from certain celebrities to uh, other people. I would rather us focus on the main issues like, you know, some scandals and politics and holding people to account. And like you said, you know, cost money. So, I, uh, you know, I donate to a couple of few platforms. And like you said, it's like two pound or something, you know, two pound or three pounds. I guess it's not yeah. much, is it? No, it doesn't. No, no, not really. You know, it doesn't cost much at all. Um, and then what you're doing is you're, you're supporting um, high quality journalism. Uh, and that's what we need more of. Um, so, so we need. I mean, I think we need more pressure from the public to say this is what we want. This seems um, to be a lot of apathy, though, doesn't it? There seems to be. Uh, wow, well, it's all it's all terrible. I can't do anything about it. So, what's the point? And then, it's just. It's, I don't know. It's really difficult. Like, I can't believe that I was having conversations with people who had seen very, very left-leaning people saying, you know, we need to hold the government to account. I agree with. Um, you know, this is, a, this is disgusting, the scandal with Cummins, all this stuff. And then they said, and then all journalists uh, are terrible. And, and I think you can't do that. Like you can't have, you can't say all journalists. Obviously there's a lot and there's probably, I don't know, some might argue more bad ones than good ones, depending on where you're getting your information. But it's I just- think, I think it's just a fundamental lack of understanding as to what, what journalism is meant mm -hmm. to be there for. Um, and also, I think, you know, people, people do feel very disempowered for many reasons at the moment. Um, and it's important for people to realise that they have more power than they think. Um, and, and small actions, if enough of us do it, can make a real difference, such as 
subscribing to a digital um, newspaper or or making sure that you go out and you buy your local paper. Uh, mm. It doesn't cost very much, but it means that you're getting local news again. The live local news, you're keeping that going within your community. Um, I guess the yeah, problem with local stuff is that like a lot of the local news, well, depending on where you are, um, is just absolutely irrelevant and you know not that great. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I read in a local newspaper about a, a serious issue or, you know, it's, and then you think sometimes I question the integrity of the papers themselves because they have to run on advertising and then they have, you know, the people that have advertising money budgets for newspapers kind of might be in contrast, uh, in conflict of interest with the ethics of what they're doing. So it's, it's a hard wire to, to, to walk across, I guess, you know, taking advertising money and, you know. there, there, are, there are some really good examples of X and hyperlocals. The Caffili Observer is one of them. Um, and that's something that took a, a long time to really build that into a sustainable um, local paper. Um, yeah. It's got good leadership and people are kind of engaged with it. And... Yeah, yeah, they, they do really, really great work. And, you know, there, there are uh, stories that they've broken that have been taken up by the nationals as well. Um, and it shows the value of having professional, you know, well-trained journalists in local communities. Um, but the problem is so many of those local offices have been closed. Um, we've got a generation of young people who are growing up who, who wouldn't have heard of having a local newspaper office on their high street. Um, that, that, that kind of connection is gone. Um, and when we've got big publications closing the sort of local outlets and centralizing everything, then you're making journalism distant from the local communities and it's about bringing that connection back. But that, that takes money, that takes resources. So we need investment from government to help us do that. And we need people to care and for people to invest to keep that going in their local communities, to bring that back to their local communities so that they can um, have relevant, high-quality local journalism again. Yeah, so trying to steer into a more of a positive because uh, obviously uh, we're talking about all the negatives and all the uh, issues that we've got at the moment. How do you think we can encourage more people to get into journalism? Like schools don't, I don't, I don't think schools seem, is, is that even taught in school? Like if you can be a journalist and this is what you can do. Um. I don't know, actually. I mean, certainly, certainly people will tend to gravitate towards things that they know. Mm. Um, you know. So you get a lot of kids saying, well, they want to be a footballer or they want to be a pop star. Those are the things that they know. And if they don't know anybody within their family or that kind of wider social circle uh, who, who works in journalism, then, then they're less likely to uh, sort of think, oh, maybe that's something that I could do. They're less I wonder, likely to have an understanding of what it is. I wonder if you went to a primary school now and you said, uh, hands up who wants to be a journalist, how many would put their hands up or ha and how many would actually know what a journalist is? don't know, but I do know that there is um, a media literacy course that was developed by some colleagues of mine um, uh, um, who have been kind of involved with the NUJ in the past. So they've developed media literacy training that they can, you can teach anyone. 
so it could be it could be a sixty plus group, or it could be a group of five year olds in um, in, in primary school. Um, and it helps people to to learn the critical thinking skills that they need to take information that's in front of them and and be able to understand whether it's reliable, whether it's got a particular bias to it. Um, that's another misunderstanding about journalism is that it's, it's meant to be completely unbiased. It doesn't. It, it isn't. It can't. Nobody can be unbiased. It's about being independent and it's about um, uh, being balanced, but also being transparent about what your bias is. So there are newspapers that you know, are more conservative. There are newspapers that are more left-wing. That's entirely fine. They all provide... Uh, what's called plurality of the press. It's important yeah. to have different perspectives on the same issue. Um, but what, what then becomes a problem is when one voice dominates over all of the others. Um, and one of the issues that we've seen um, with the UK government is, is, is actually trying to um, obstruct plurality of the press. So we, we had, shortly before lockdown, there was an incident with the political lobby in Downing Street in that they tried to exclude yeah. certain certain newspapers from going into the government briefings they moved and asking the briefing. questions. They moved the uh, briefing uh, where they did the briefing to a different place so that they could control the environment. I think that was the like originally they used to give the press briefings in one area, then they changed the area so that they could stop people coming in because it was was it outside originally. Um, I I put, this, this happened just before this happened before Corona. Um, so this, this wasn't related to this wasn't related to the virus. This this was just um, the government. Yeah. I think my my view, my personal view, is that it was the government wanting to have more control over the narrative, over um, over what is reported about their policy decisions in mm. the press. So do you want to keep out the antagonistic voices if you want to make sure that you've got a nice positive portrayal in the press? The government can't do that. They shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be trying to. Um, and that, that's why it's so important that we have press freedom in the UK because journalists have got to come in and ask those challenging questions, whether the government likes it or not, um, whether the public agree with it or not. You know, you might not agree with somebody who's got a right-wing bias on an issue. You might not agree with somebody who's got a left-wing bias on an issue, but they both need yeah. to be in there to ask the questions that they need to ask and to, to represent their point of view on that particular issue. This is why we, we have a public that's getting a very skewed, narrow uh, sort of sense of Paracature. what's actually going on. Yeah. You know? But this is what um, this is what kind of baffles me a lot is the, you know, I know a lot of, I would say that politically I'm left. Um, that's just how I am. I've been brought up that way. I believe in socialism and looking after our weakest in society, not weakest, sorry, looking after people that need help, you know, that because that could be anywhere, you know, you could be in a car accident or wherever. when, you know, I think we pay taxes and that we should look after society as a whole. Um, you know, so I'm a left, I'm left wherever, but I speak to a lot of people who are like extreme left um, and have ideas and opinions and voices and stuff like that, which is fine, but then want to take other people's voices away. And I just think that that is a bit of a, conundrum because it like how can you you know how can we how can we live in a society where you have your point of view but your point of view is basically saying i want to silence you i want to silence you i want to silence you it, it just doesn't really doesn't go down well with me um mm -hmm. i think you, you know 
it's horrible, but you've got to listen to stuff that you don't want to listen to. Like you've got to have, you got to have the whole picture. Yeah. If people were so worried about the other people, what they were saying, and it was so ridiculous and so bad, let them speak and it helps your cause. Maybe. Well, that's freedom of expression, isn't it? Um, I think, I think there are so many debates at the moment that have become so polarized and so toxic. Mm. Um, that, that people cannot just sit there and absorb somebody else's point of view if it's in conflict with theirs. And that, that's really troubling, it's really worrying. Um, because, and and that's, one, that's one of the issues with Facebook as well, because the algorithm of Facebook will um, skew what you see towards the things that you are already interested bubble, in aligned to. Yeah, so you, so you do end up with that bubble around you where everybody, everybody's got the same opinions as you, every, everything represents your world view. Um, and actually, you forget, there's a lot of other stuff going on out there. There are a lot of other ways of looking at things. Um, but it's just become so It's polarized. like It's not a sign of weakness to debate with the other, other people and listen to them talk about their point of view. Like, I, especially today, because more people seem to have more time and they're online more and voicing their opinions more and stuff. But I've, you know, hear people have opinions that I disagree with. And I've regrettedly... Uh, yeah, a bit. I regret doing it a few times, but I've tried to get involved, and I said I disagree with you, but that's okay. I think this, you think that. Let's talk about it. And I've tried really hard, and it gets so far, and then all, and then it just, you know, other people just can't accept it and say, I'm not dealing with this. This is what I believe, and that's the end of it. And I think, yeah, like you said, maybe that comes back to teaching, teaching it at a younger age, like like media literacy. I remember in school when I did. Um, <coughs> excuse me, when I did uh, GCSE media studies, um, they would, you know, that, and that was pretty much, that was eye-opening because they would say, look at the font that they've used. It's, you know, uh, look at the colors and the text that they've used and the picture they put in next and what sort of picture are they trying to paint here and stuff like that. And then I remember, you know, being taught that in school. And then from that, from there on forward, I was like, ah, okay, not all is what it seems. So I think, I just assume that everyone is like that, but I forget that they're not. And I think that's probably, that's probably one of the most urgent things that we need to address because that could tackle a few problems, you know, like hate, you know, hate groups and things like that. And, you know, all these problems that just blow up out of nowhere and they gain momentum on social media. If people could actually look at them, like you said, and know what's right. And if it's trustworthy, then they could probably solve a lot of problems. So maybe, um, yeah, could we maybe wrap up and try and just do you have, did you have any info on the friend or the colleague of yours that runs that course or how people can get in touch or how we can you know um, I'd I'd have to get in touch with her and ask, well, I'll ask tell you about what. that. So they, they kind of just deliver training in different places, but I don't know what so they it's go called to schools or... and stuff and they um they like Yeah, kind of... yeah, in community groups and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can ask probably... her for you. Yeah, there's probably more more people that do it than uh, just that person. But I'll, and I'll try and put some uh, links in the description below. Um, all right, I'll ask Yeah, no, but uh, I think yeah, I'm all about I'm all about trying to be positive and trying to find ways to fix things. And uh, I think that that would be a great one. Um, um, another one to link to would be um, the Independent Community News Network. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have a lot of resources and support for local journalism. They, they kind of run campaigns around um, um, local news matters, that kind of thing. Um, 
so there might be some useful stuff there. Yeah, and obviously, if you've got any aspiring journalists, or whether that's that, you know, and again, that doesn't just mean writers, you know, photographers, videographers, uh, you know, anyone involved in journalism, whether you're at school level, college level, at degree level, maybe you're thinking about changing career or something like that, then uh, I highly recommend going over to the NUJ and taking a look at the website um, because basically it's a community that helps you like no matter what part of your journey you're on, um, whether you're, you know, establishing yourself in the industry, whether you're just completely new and fresh to it, or if you're already a member of it. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's some really good resources for journalists of uh, all sort of stages of their career over at the NUJ. And that's just, is that NUJ.com? Um, NUJ.org.uk. And the other one that's, if you're in Wales, the other one that's worth looking at is NUJ Training Wales. Um, they deliver skills training for uh, for journalists, um, and it's subsidised, so the courses are really affordable and they're really, really good. And that money obviously goes back into the NUJ, uh, helping um, go in and uh, you know. Let's just pull up the. Yeah, it's definitely good. I've I've been to. I've got um. You know, I'm a member of the NUJ. Uh, my press card came. My. Uh, my latest press card came the other day uh, in Welsh as well. Proud, proud to say it's in uh, a bilingual one, which a couple of members were very passionate. They fought very hard for a long time to have a bilingual card. So I have a bilingual card. I just wanted to That's let them know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's uh, it's definitely a good place to be and it's, it's a good community. Unfortunately, journalists are crucial right now with all the problems that we have going on, you know, without, without journalists, you, you're blindfolded really. And you've just got to go off whispers. So, you know, big shout out to NJ. Thanks for coming along. And I'll let you go. Cause I know you got to go and do another couple of meetings or something now, I think. Um, so we'll wrap up aspiring journalists, go over to nj.org.uk and uh, we'll maybe catch up with Natasha another time. So yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right.